Hi, Daniel. Hey, how's it going? So great. Got a lot of good stuff in these sections, right? Yes. Are you going to talk about Eve? Yeah, also the celestial kingdom, the spirit world, noble and great ones. Yes. A lot of good stuff. Wonderful visions for Kirtland, Ohio, for Joseph Smith, thinking about Alvin. It's exciting. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, so welcome. Before we uh, get into our discussion, should we follow up on what we read? Let's do it. So today we're talking about Doctrine and Covenants, sections 137 and 138. In these sections, the saints are prepping for the Kirtland Temple dedication, and Joseph Smith sees a vision of the afterlife, specifically the celestial kingdom and his brother Alvin. Joseph F. Smith is going to be pondering the afterlife, and especially in regards to the spirit world, he is going to be shown a vision of the spirit world and what we can expect in our future. Mm -hmm. And in this vision, he also sees Christ ministering to the spirits there and the spirits being taught the gospel. So uh, for our discussion today, we're going to focus in on three different things, the character of the afterlife, what it's like, receiving revelation through visions and dreams, and this idea of noble and great ones, those ones who are prepared to come to earth and to serve the Lord in significant ways. So in order to help us to dive deeper into this subject, understand these topics better, and especially looking more closely at sections 137 and 138, we have brought our wonderful friend, Sean Hopkin, to join us. Sean, thank you for coming. Take a seat, Sean. The party begins. Good to be here. Uh, so Sean, uh, you received your PhD from the University of Texas at Austin in Hebrew studies. You, uh, you taught seminary and institute for about 14 years. Um, you are associate professor of ancient scripture. Uh, and you're also the department chair of the Ancient Scripture Department currently, so that makes you my boss. We, <laughs> we work together. Daniel's more my boss. Yeah, um, but no, welcome. We're, we're really interested in, in hearing your thoughts. Thank you. Um, before we get into our discussion, I'm wondering, was there anything in these sections that kind of jumped out to you as you know significant or meaningful? I'll just say two brief things. They're joyous, right? They're they're really positive. They're really warm. They they get at the things that we worry about, which is what happens to those that we love after they die and what's going to happen to those who haven't had all of the opportunities for blessings that we would hope they would have. The other thing I loved was this, you have this beautiful, warm revelation of Dr. Covenants 137 that we'll mm -hmm. talk about, and but you don't have all of the details about how Doctrine and Covenants 137 works until 80 years later. Mm -hmm. And so there's truth, and then there's more truth. And so this expanding sense of truth through revelation is really clear, I think, when you tie those two revelations together. It's just really beautiful, I think, as far as how the restored gospel works with the revelation of truth ongoing. We've seen that in the life of Joseph Smith, the line upon line revelation process of the Lord, and now we're seeing it line upon line, but over decades, which is fun now that we're in, you know, 1900s with Joseph F. Smith, and he's still receiving revelation. And, and frankly, we're still re receiving revelation on these topics today. Mm. Thanks, Sean. That's a great point. Yeah, so maybe we can start in section 137 then with Joseph Smith's vision of the afterlife. This is happening beforehand. So we're, chronologically, we're, we're, we're going back to the Kirtland era, right? Uh, Joseph Smith lost his brother Alvin, um, shortly after Moroni visited him. And, and I, I love the statement that Joseph has about his brother. He actually wrote this in his personal journal. He said, I remember well the pangs of sorrow that swelled my youthful bosom and almost burst my tender heart when he died. He was the oldest and the noblest of my father's family. He was one of the noblest of the sons of men. So Joseph had lost at a young age someone he loved dearly. And, and it seems that throughout 
uh, his life, he is trying to learn more about the celestial kingdom. And we put this in context then of, of the temple and Joseph is in the temple with others, his father included, and he's you know, preparing for this dedication to the temple and learning more about it. And in this process, Joseph actually receives a vision of the, of the spirit world. And in that vision, of course, he's going to see his brother Alvin among others as well. And as we go through the vision, we might even keep in mind, you know, how might this vision have affected Joseph uh, and the kind of state he was in and, and pondering this. Yeah. So if we were to ask in, in Doctor and Covenants 137 and 138, what do we learn about the afterlife specifically? Uh, here are a few things. 137, we get a vision of the celestial kingdom. We're told it's beautiful and glorious that righteous and innocent individuals dwell there with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 138, we see the righteous in, in, the, in the spirit world. They're joyous, they're glad. They recognize that the absence of their bodies is kind of a bondage and they look forward to the day in which they are resurrected. Uh, we learn that repentance is possible and that ministering is an important part of the, the role of the righteous in the spirit world. So the question I have for all of us here is, how might this knowledge impact us? Uh, which is to say, what kind of motivation or reassurance does it give you? Yeah, Roy. So. I think it gives us hope, right? At least it gives me hope that, you know, a wayward child always has a, has a chance at redemption. A, a wayward soul such as myself or, you know, a family member who never accepted the gospel would still have the chance, you know? And it's that kind of hope that brings happiness in times of sorrow or in times of tribulation. Yeah. And behind this vision, you get the idea of an incredibly merciful and loving God whose end goal for his children is joy and who promises all his children the chance at that joy if they just kind of reach out their hand and take it. Right? So it was poignant to me. I lost uh, my older brother uh, a few months ago. Um, my dad's here, uh, his oldest son. Uh, my wife and I uh, were really close with him. We shared a room growing up. And, and so I thought of Joseph loving his brother, thinking about his brother. And, and it, it helps me feel closer to Joseph and these very poignant and human concerns uh, that would come to him. It pointed out to me that Joseph, as he's pondering this, there's an opportunity for revelation and that God speaks peace to his soul about how his brother is doing. And, and it reminded me that when I'm worried about those that I have lost in whatever way we maybe are disconnected from people or have lost people, that there may be moments when God will speak peace to our souls and we desperately need it. And will I believe that? Because sometimes you think, well, how do all those pieces fit together? How's that gonna work? I don't know. And Joseph didn't know. He's, he says, I marveled at mm. this. What's he doing in the celestial yeah, kingdom, he's right? Yeah. He, he's, he's surprised by it. And, and God speaks peace to our souls. And we say, well, how can that be? And the answer is just, Believe me, I'm doing more than you know for the salvation of my children. Trust what I'm saying to you right now. It's going to be all right. All will be well. Yeah, and that, I mean, there's a lot of things we don't know about the life after and even about, about this life. But, I mean, one of the things that we can have faith in, I think, is God's character. And, uh, you know, in the Book of Mormon, it says God doesn't do anything except for the good of mankind, men and women. Uh, and that's something that, that can speak peace to us, the idea that he has our best uh, interests in mind, that he wants us to be happy. And if we have faith in that, then we can kind of um, progress through any kind of trial that maybe we face. So we actually have a, view, a video from a viewer at home that asks a question about kind of the nature of the spirit world and, and deceased loved ones specifically. Hi, we're the Smith family from Twilly, Utah. Our question comes from Doctrine and Covenants, section 137, verse 10. 
And I also beheld that all children who die before they arrive at the years of accountability are saved in the celestial kingdom of heaven. Our little sister died when she was a baby. What is she doing now? And can we feel her influence? Thank you. So first of all, thank you, Smith family from Tooele. Appreciate that question. When we're talking about life and death, this is real. As, as Shauna said, I, I've, you know, I've lost both of my parents and, and it's painful to lose those we love. But I had to go back to section 137 and 138 to be reassured of the hope I have in the atonement of Jesus Christ and the resurrection to know what my father was doing and is doing and knowing what my mother is doing. And you know, my husband has lost both of his parents and we've had these discussions and this is very real for us as, as we tried to deal with and understand loss, your brother and, and I'm sure and the audience and those at home. Yeah, the spirit world is framed as a place of intellectual and moral improvement. And I'm reminded of a quote from Joseph Smith. He says this, when you climb up a ladder, you must begin at the bottom and ascend step by step until you arrive at the top. And so it is with the principles of the gospel. You must begin at the first and go on until you learn all the principles of exaltation but it will be a great while after you have passed through the veil before you will have learned them. It is not all to be comprehended in this world. It will be a great work to learn our salvation and exaltation even beyond the grave. So obviously we can't speak to the personal uh, you know, circumstances of, of this um, young woman, but we do know from the Doctrine and Covenants that good spirits will be engaged in some kind of uh, moral and intellectual improvement, whether it's their own or that of others. And I think we can have some um, uh, understanding of that. I think about the things that make this life joyful for me and that uh, makes this uh, girl, this, this, uh, this sister and daughter mm. that uh, this wonderful family was asking about, what made life joyful for her. These are the same kinds of things that I'm hearing in the spirit world, learning, communicating, progressing, uh, teaching. I've often thought of it as passing from one room into another room. Yes, the mortal body dies, but the spirit continues on, life is real. And, 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 and I think one more thing we could add is that we do believe that there is communication at times when God sees fit. Rachel, please. So growing up, I had a friend who was uh, an atheist and it, it bothered me while I was growing up because I had gone to church and I was a member of another church at the time. For years I had wondered, like, my friend is a good person. Why would that mean she could potentially go to hell? And then, well, there are people that are in the church pews. Like, wouldn't, don't they make mistakes sometimes? Does that mean that they're instantly in? And so when the missionaries just taught about this loving plan that our Heavenly Father has for us, it just made so much more sense to me. And recently, it's really provided me a lot of strength as Last year, I've had a couple of people that have passed away in my family, and my reaction to it, of course, was that I was so sad, but it wasn't as tumultuous to my, my reality as it was to some of my other family members. Excellent. Thank you for that. I think many of us, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, recognize um, how, how grateful we are, especially after the loss of a loved one, for the plan of salvation, the teachings we do have. And I've often wondered how, how those without an understanding of the plan of salvation survive, because death is hard, right? It, it is hard. And other religions do have teachings regarding afterlife and things like that. And, and I'm sure every religion who has a teaching like that is grateful for what they do know. We really are blessed to know so much. It does make it, it, does make it palatable, not easy, but it makes it possible, right? We learn 
truth from Doctrine and Covenants 137, but the other thing that happens is Joseph and the Lord model a relationship for us. This is what it looks like when God comforts one of his children about someone who's passed away. And, and I hope that our hearts can be open for those moments when God speaks peace to our soul. He speaks peace to me through this section. And then the section leads me beyond the, the scripture, right, to a relationship with God that, mm -hmm. that uh, comforts me just as it comforted Joseph. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, so this has been a great discussion on the afterlife. Let's now talk a little bit about uh, receiving revelation through visions and dreams. Section 138 is significant. Again, we are in 1918 now, so we have quite a jump. And as Sean mentioned uh, previously, we, we have a, a line upon line process of Joseph F. Smith now receiving this revelation. During this period of 1918, we had a, a major pandemic. We had, we had millions of people throughout the world that had, had died. Um, he was dealing with uh, the beginning of world wars, and he was dealing with major uh, uh, pain and sorrow within our own country, but an international prophet understanding what's going on throughout the world. And in addition to that, he had just lost his son, um, who was an apostle. He was grieving desperately for him. He had already lost other children. This is Joseph F. Smith is a prophet who, who had his father, Hiram Smith, die, his uncle, Joseph Smith, die. He had his mother die at a young age. He was, he was an orphan as a teenager. He had seen death at a very, very close range. And he clearly throughout his life, and you look through his journals, really is searching for answers to death and what's happening to those he loves. And so with that context, now we're getting section 138. And maybe we can start by looking at what exactly he did to prepare himself to receive this revelation. He sat pondering the scriptures. He was reflecting on Christ's atonement and God's love. And he seemed to have a kind of openness to learning and an openness to this spirit. And it was, it was this way that it kind of, again, it burst upon him. And I'm wondering, based on his experience here, do you see anything that might apply to us in terms of our scripture study or receiving revelations? I have often read the scriptures in a kind of a... Uh ritualistic kind of way, something I was supposed to do. So many chapters, have to finish that book by the end of the year. However, there are times when instead of reading, I just ponder. I just let my mind dwell on topics and uh, connections get made. And that uh, then confirms things and gives me thoughts that I've never had in my mind before as a result of that sort of uh, discipline of reading the scriptures. So it's been a great blessing in my life. And that openness and kind of willingness to let your mind go where the spirit directs it seems to be exactly what Joseph S. Smith is doing here. It says in 138, five through six, while I was thus engaged, my mind reverted to the writings of the apostle Peter and I opened up the Bible. So he's letting his mind take him to different places, right? He's not reading for the narrative. He's not reading for the principles. He's sitting and trying to allow the Spirit to, to teach him. And I think this is part of what maybe kind of allowed the, the Lord to speak to him in the way that he did. So Sean, any additional thoughts or insights into you know, the process of receiving revelation or what we can do better to engage with Scripture from Joseph F. Smith's uh, experience? So one thing maybe we could just spend a couple of minutes on is uh, I'm a Hebrew Bible guy. That's what I studied. And I spent a lot of time in the past and, and still it's a chapter that matters to me, Psalm 22. I love the way these two sections tie together. And I think as we read the scriptures more deeply, 
they prepare us and they prepare Joseph Smith. Look at this first phrase here, Psalm 22.1 is very familiar to Christians. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is something that Jesus cries from the cross. Mm -hmm. uh, and Psalm 22 actually shows up in the Gospels. It's quoted more to help Christians understand Jesus's mission than any other uh, Hebrew Bible or Old Testament verse or, or chapter, even more than Isaiah 53. And it's beautiful, it's powerful. Look at this verse 18. They part my garments among them, cast lots upon my vesture. This shows up in every single one of the Gospels in the Passion narratives there at the end of Jesus's life. And, and it's, it's a psalm of lament where the, the person who is speaking is suffering and then there's this plea to God and then it ends though in victory, in triumph with this uh, praise and exclamation of certainty. This is the first verse of the triumph section. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. For God hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. And then look at this last phrase, your heart shall live forever. And then let's go to the next slide, which is gonna show us then the correlation with uh, Doctrine and Covenants, there were gathered together in one place an innumerable company. There's that, he's declaring the name. You see the progression from suffering into triumph. And this is this triumphant moment where God, it's, it's broad, it's inclusive. God has a plan for everyone. He loves everyone and is giving. He, he descends into the spirit world. Uh, and there's a vast multitude that uh, was waiting. And then the Son of God appears, declaring liberty to the captives. There he preached to them the everlasting gospel. And it goes on to talk about those who had suffered in symbol or similitude of the suffering of the Son of God, but to have the ground prepared with the scriptures, I think it is really powerful to see how that seems to have worked here for Joseph F. Smith. Sean, something that I, I've noticed that you're kind of talking about there is it seems that there's this like cognitive dissonance going on with, with these prophets. In Psalms, you kind of have this, it's like, what's going on? And you see that here with Joseph F. Smith and you see them both. And then you see them pondering and trying to figure it out. And then the Lord is just guiding them through using other scriptures as well as the spirit in a sense to nuance or clarify something that they're trying to figure out. So, so maybe perhaps he's reading in Psalms and he's understanding some things, but the Lord is actually really clarifying and helping him perhaps expand. And I think he does that with us as we try to receive revelation. We're studying our scriptures. We're learning more, adding line upon line. The Lord, in a sense, is, is clarifying things and helping us as we are thematically studying and not just reading through something quickly. When I think about where the Bible appears in the Doctrine and Covenants, I think that Joseph and, and other individuals who are receiving revelations, I think this they were so steeped in biblical literature that the words of biblical literature became their own. Uh, so you see them kind of molding it into it as if they're just kind of speaking normally. The same thing that Nephi does with Isaiah. Sometimes it, it changes a little bit to fit the circumstances, but it internalized the word of God such that when he spoke, he spoke in that vernacular. So this has been a, a great discussion about receiving revelation uh, through visions and dreams. Let's talk now a little bit about uh, this idea of noble and great ones. So throughout the section uh, 138, Joseph F. Smith, he sees individuals he describes as mighty, noble, and great. So we have this list of individuals. What do we need to walk away from this list knowing? I actually love this list. I mean, I just go through it and I just kind of mark in my own and I just look at this and think, oh my gosh, Joseph got to see Noah? Like, how, how incredible was that? I mean, how I would love to have this experience when, when Joseph Smith actually is able to see Adam. Like this, 
this connection between these two prophets of these dispensations. And we go through this, this whole experience. And we know Joseph has seen many, of, many, many prophets in the past and he's been spoken to by many of them, but to see them in this vision among the great and mighty ones. But for me, the one that I love the most, and I, this may become really obvious as we see this, is in verse 39, and it's on this as well, where he says, and our glorious mother Eve, with many of her faithful daughters who had lived throughout the ages and worshiped the true and living God. It's rare in the scriptures that we have a woman that is mentioned in connection with these mighty, noble, and great ones. And here we have specifically Joseph Smith testifying that he saw Eve and he saw many of the daughters associated with it. So I, to me, that's just, it's beautiful. It's, it helps us understand again, the doctrine and the place of women. Sometimes we, we tend to overlook, but we are being invited today more than ever to understand the role of women in history and role of women in the gospel. So I, I love that that has come out. I love that Joseph Smith saw that. I love that the Lord showed it to Joseph. It's beautiful. Many of her, many of her yeah. faithful daughters. So I get the sense of a multitude of women and men mm-hmm. of these noble and great ones. So until recently, I was the only male in my house. I have two daughters and, and a wife. And one thing I've noticed about them is that they possess the attributes naturally that are so difficult for me to, to cultivate. Um, like they are inherently good. They are inherently Christ-like in a way that it takes so much effort for me to match or even to, to strive towards. They create an atmosphere of goodness and, and emotional awareness and compassion and love that I don't think I would have without them. I'm just kind of that, not just the atmosphere, but just their example. Um, it makes me a better person. And frankly, Daniel, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I would imagine that if we had Emily and your daughters here, your daughter's probably a little bit young, but they would probably say something similar to you because that unity is, is, is necessary. I mean, I, I'm sure that there's some things that I give my husband, but trust me when I say he is more Christ-like and kinder and more, more of what I would hope that I could be in the future. And so I think we really do balance off of each other. We do need each other, men and women, and that synergy is required for, for eternal life for a reason. Yeah. Well, if I could just add, uh, I, I loved the different things that were said. Those that are teaching are nurturers, but nurturing, what does that include? It includes words, it includes strength, it includes leadership, it includes yeah. uh, all of these powerful attributes. Glorious Eve embodies these things that Christ is the master teacher and uh, for uh, Mother Eve and I think for these other noble and great ones. Uh, that are there. They're teachers. They're leaders. They are. Uh, they embody love in the ways that they interact with others. Um, I, I'm really grateful for that full range mm-hmm. of attributes being expressed in the noble great ones, and then encouraging me that I can express that full range of attributes in my life. This list of noble and great ones really makes me wonder, as I look at that list, who would I be most excited to meet? Who am I most excited to see there? And I don't know if any of you have any thoughts. We've, we've talked a lot about uh, Eve and the many faithful daughters. Who else of uh, these wonderful scriptural figures uh, are you going to look forward to meeting? Who most interests you from this list? Sam, what about you? What do you think? Um, for me, I would probably most like to meet Brigham Young. He just seems like a a strong guy because he had to lead all those people to Salt Lake. Thank you for that. Karen? I would really love to meet Nephi just because Mm. I feel like we know him so well from the Book of Mormon. I already feel like he's a friend and it would just be great to to meet him and thank him. I guess I would like to see Joseph Smith since he had lots of trials throughout his life yet he's still stayed strong in what he believed. Thanks, Gabe. Allison? 
So I really would like to meet Adam and Eve because remember Heavenly Father gave them a commitment to multiply and replenish the earth. But then I was thinking, well, they don't have father-in-laws or, you know, they don't have father-in-law or mother-in-law or parents to call for help, right? Because they're supposed to have a lot of kids and who's going to help them with, you know, yeah. parenting advice. So they had to communicate with Heavenly Father. And how would it be to have Heavenly Father to tell you how to change diapers? Or, you know, what do you do when your kids have a fever? That kind of thing. You get those instructions from Heavenly Father. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, so this has been a great discussion about the noble and great ones mentioned in Doctrine and Covenants uh, 138. So thank you so much for your, for your comments. Sean, thank you especially for coming. Thanks for going through these sections with us. We appreciate it. Great We'd like to, to thank you also in the audience. Thank you for being here. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, your insights, your comments. It's been really wonderful having you here today. And to those of you at home, thanks for sharing your comments and questions with us via social media. We'd love to have you come join us in the studio sometime, but if you can't, we hope you'll tune in next week for Come Follow Up. Thanks. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.